If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey friends, it's me, Jamie, host of the show. Yes, it's a Monday. It's not a Wednesday or a Friday, but we have two special edition shows that we wanted to bring to you. To say that 2020 has been a hard year would be quite possibly the understatement of the year. I think it's also safe to say that this upcoming election has proven to be a difficult event as well. There's so much hatred and disagreements around both parties. So many people have been canceling each other out because their decisions on who to vote for look different than theirs. Many people I've heard are claiming that if you vote for fill in the blank, then you're a real Christian. Shaming, slandering, bickering, it is all too much. Here at The Happy Hour, we wanted to bring you four conversations. We think these conversations are important and they're worth it. These conversations are with people who believe that we can be different than what the rest of the world is doing and acting and how we react to this election year. Listen, the truth of the matter is there are Christians that will vote for President Trump and there are Christians that will vote for Vice President Joe Biden. We need to be a people group that is unified by our belief in the saving grace of Jesus Christ more than our belief in the ability for a person or a party to save us. I asked my friends, Catherine Freeman, Scott Sauls, Amy Wolf, and Eugene Cho to join us on these two special edition podcast episodes to answer questions that you as a listener sent to us. Questions like, how do we vote with a biblical worldview? How do we have disagreements without dehumanizing our friends? How do we love our neighbors well when we believe two different ideas about how things should be? How do we vote when we don't 100% agree with the other party? Should we vote for a party based on one policy? How do we bring peace and gentleness to our communities when it feels so volatile? Those questions plus more will be answered in this two-part special edition podcast that we're calling Faith in Politics. We know that there will possibly be things in here that you wholeheartedly agree with and potentially things here that you disagree with. But let's all remember that critical thinking is welcome here and that we are unified because of Jesus and not because of any political party. On today's show, I sat down with my friend Amy Wolf and Eugene Cho. You're going to love the conversations that we had around voting and loving your neighbor. For any resources and the essay that we allude to in Amy's conversation and Eugene Cho's newest book, Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, we will link all of those over in our show notes. Here is my conversation with Amy first and then Eugene. Amy, thank you so much for coming on and joining this conversation as we talk about how do we infuse our faith into our politics and all those things. And I knew when I wanted to do this podcast that I wanted to bring you on mm. because you have not walked an easy road uh, to where you are right now with politics. I grew up in a household where we shared common ideologies. So there was always a political party that we were bent to that my parents always voted for. And then as I got older, my dad's opinion started to change. He became a little bit more moderate. We're now one party, didn't check all the boxes for him. So I remember being a young adult and starting to hear more nuanced thought. Not everything's so black and white. This one party doesn't represent everything I think and feel and believe. 
I think that helped me start to assess who am I voting for? What am I voting for? It is, let's be honest, it is a really intimidating thing to pull up our chair to. Mm -hmm. I'm sure many of you listeners are thinking, I don't even, it's a chess game. Mm -hmm. I don't get all the pieces, so I'm out, which is kind of how I felt with politics. I was never super engaged. But I have a theory, and the theory is people vote three different ways. They vote for a person, someone they like. They vote a policy, something specific they like. Or they vote party, because let's be honest, that's just super fast and easy. Mm -hmm. Where, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, mm, this one mostly, yes, go. Yeah. The problem was when I voted mostly party as a young adult, and then I started seeing nuance, I was really forced to consider, what do I really believe in policy? Okay, well, one party doesn't really reflect all my complicated thoughts on that. And then in 2016, for the first time, I voted a third party, which was interesting in that instantly people told me I threw away my vote. And there is nothing that will make an Enneagram 8 more mad than when you say your opinion doesn't count. And you might as well have just stayed home. Yeah. I might as well just stayed home. I might as well just have voted for so-and-so because third parties throwing away your vote. And I will say this, that if we believe there are only two options, there will never be a third. Hmm. But if we honor all of our complex thoughts and opinions, then third party is a very appealing option that I wish got more visibility. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the system is rigged where two parties thrive when there's only two main parties Mm -hmm. and they like it that way and they choke out anyone else. So I did vote differently in the last election. With this upcoming election, I thought I can't vote person. I don't have a person that really just does it for me. Mm-hmm. Can't vote person. So I'm looking at policy and party. I ditched voting party lines. Just It just does not fit me. It doesn't feel authentic because I'm just going with the flow and it's easier. And I've chosen not to vote that way. So now I'm looking at policies. And what's difficult is people told me that certain policies means I should vote this or that where, you know, if I want, if I'm pro-life, which I am, I'm a pro-life feminist that I have to vote for a certain party. Or if I'm for women's rights and if I, let's say I was pro-choice that you only vote a different party and we tend to be one policy voters. And so what happened was this year, I decided that that's a lie. That one policy doesn't mean I have to vote a certain party that I can embrace my nuance and I am voting for a party I've never voted for in this coming election. That's a little scary because I don't think we'll ever really vote for the right person. I don't know if there is the right person. So how do I know if I'm doing that? Well, I can pray for God's guidance, but so is my neighbor who's chosen to vote differently. So what do I do with that? God, am I hearing you clearly? How, how do I discern? So it's been messy really messy. And then sharing that via essay or blog really caused some interesting reactions because then I was forthcoming in why I made that decision. And I have pretty strong feelings about that and shared it with the world. And that is always dangerous. And what I enjoyed most about reading the words that you put out there, you did what you're just talking about. You looked at all across the board at all of the policies. You looked at the nuance. You acknowledged that there is nuance in all of these discussions. Why do you think it is so difficult because you and I are both Christians, and most of my listeners who are listening are Christians. We'll, we'll, we'll phrase it like this. Yeah. We think it is sometimes so difficult for Christians to sit with nuance. Ooh, let me tell you, 
because I am a black and white thinker. I am this or that. There are clean boundaries. I know when I'm wrong and when I'm right. And that rule following tendency, I think a lot of Christian cultures also develop good behavior, bad behavior, honoring God, disappointing him. And we have to make really fine lines in the sand in order to feel like we're doing it right. We're earning his love. For me, it's always been, I follow rules to earn his love when joke's on me. Well, no joke, but grace is for me mm-hmm. in that I don't need to earn it and no one can lose it. So anyway, I think it's hard because we want really clear answers. And I really appreciate that scripture that talks about, do we eat the meat sacrificed on the altar? And the answer is, well, if you feel like you shouldn't, don't. But if you don't feel bad, sure. But then don't eat the meat in front of someone who feels bad about it. And so there's nuance. Even that scripture is just so helpful in, in how we navigate each other in our different convictions and perceptions of what might be right or wrong, that we can always err on grace and love and consideration for each other. And so I think it's messier, Jamie. It is messier. It is a lot easier to stay in the black and white and say, that's wrong. This is right. So this is how I vote. Mm. It is much more exhausting to embrace the nuance. Exhausting and difficult and scary and hard to do all of those things. Risky, very risky for sure to do those things. I was talking with on last week's episode with Scott Sauls, and we talked about this and the fact that there are Christians on both sides. There are Christians who will vote Republican and there are Christians who will vote Democrat. The thing that's been really difficult for me in the midst of this election season has how I have seen people respond to each other who are voting differently than them or who think differently than them or who like maybe would think more highly of an issue than another person. And so then they're either the worst or the best. It's one or the other. And that's one of the takeaways. We have to be careful with words. We have to be careful with how we talk about Mm -hmm. it. I met a woman who I think we'll talk about a little bit. I met a woman a few years ago. Actually, we talked about it on my happy hour podcast Mm -hmm. with you years ago. I met a friend named Missy Bird. She and I are 100% different. Now, not so much 100%, which is fascinating. But she used to work at Planned Parenthood. She used to be an advocate. She lobbied, anyway, lots of things. And we obviously disagree a lot on that particular policy and about being pro-life or pro-choice. It is, in talking with her, I recognized that a lot of the legislation that's pro-life has a lot of earmarks for things that I actually don't agree with. So you get into the actual mechanics of the bill and the legislations. And I realized, well, why is that in there? I don't, that seems really specific. How can everyone agree that on that one piece? Mm -hmm. And she started to help me recognize that there are some medical practices that are used to to abort that are also used to stop hemorrhaging, but faith-based health institutions like the one in my city won't offer that medical solution because if I'm hemorrhaging, because it also aborts babies. And so here she's like, people are denied healthcare for hemorrhaging because of the connection to also the same practices for abortion. So here she's helping me recognize, I don't think it's as black and white, Amy, as you think. There's stuff in these bills you might not agree with, even though it's labeled pro-life. Also, did you know that how it boils down into actual institutions and patient coverage and patient care and how it limits some of that And I, my mind was blown. All of a sudden it's kind of gray. All of a sudden I'm looking into the legislation and it's not just so easy. And that was part of my journey is listening to someone who wasn't trying to change my mind. 
I know her intentions and I trust them and we never try to engage to change each other's minds. So I knew there wasn't an agenda, but she was saying, Amy, you should be informed. Like, go look, you go look, you go Mm -hmm. research and then make informed decisions. So that started the nuance for me Mm -hmm. and that particular policy and issue. I think I have a hard time with this idea that you can only be pro-life and Republican because there are multiple ways that we can vote. And I'm less and less convinced that voting one policy is a wise idea. The reason I say that is because there's a cost being paid when there are multiple policies on the line, let's say immigration or fill in the blank, where my my one vote on pro-life is a cost to be paid on another policy where I believe in this policy over here in the Democratic Party that I believe is compassionate and lines up with my values. But over here, someone's saying, no, but because they're not pro-life, you can't vote that way. And so I, I've really struggled with that single policy voter, including myself, in recognizing I can't do that anymore. There are victims, not just unborn children. There are more victims. And to be honest, for me, unborn children are a very easy victim to rally behind. Innocent, voiceless, someone needs to advocate on their behalf. Also, there are other victims affected by policies. And I need to look at all of the victims, whether they're as easy to get behind or not, just because of my lack of proximity to them. And I need to listen and understand there are other victims too. So good. So good. So good. And also like, I just want to encourage listeners, like if you're pro-life, like, like I am and Amy is, um, that there are also really great ways for you to be hands-on in your city and your town of being an advocate for mothers and for healthcare and for other ways as well. One of my favorite things that you have done is the conversation that you just alluded to with your friend. And we did talk about that in the happy hour and you guys way before, um, 2020, um, um, got here and blew up in our face is what we see now. You guys, <laughs> you developed a manifesto for 2020. You have 10 commitments in this manifesto that I think are brilliant and beautiful and so needed right now. So would you tell those to us? Yes. In the fall of last year, Missy and I saw 2020 coming and knew that people have a hard time engaging with people who are different. Somehow the way her and I interact works, even though we're not trying to change each other's minds. And so we said, let's come up with 10 commitments and try to rally people in our communities to commit also. They have not been easy. So here they go. Uh, Number one, our commitment was that we will do the hard work of empathy, meaning we'll listen to understand and not form a rebuttal. We will make sense of how other people could arrive at different conclusions based on their personal experiences and that we don't, this is huge. We don't misidentify empathy as endorsement where we can empathize and still disagree. So that was huge, is that we will do the hard work of empathy, understanding how someone else could arrive at their opinion. Good, that's good. The second one is we will diversify our news sources. This is so hard. We do not filter out ideas that conflict with our own, that we will not exclusively choose media sources that just confirm our own opinions and biases. This one is one of the hardest ones for me. I, what I found myself doing as a rule follower is looking up multiple media sources, but rolling my eyes through some of them, but I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I'm reading yeah. it, but I'm rolling my eyes as I do it. And that's not the point. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's some really great information out there. If you go, dang, that one hurts. I do filter. There's some great resources out there that help you identify more moderate, more unbiased news sources. Number three, we will embrace nuance and ditch absolutes. Like you are either a child killer or you're 
for women, mm-hmm. right? It's not either or. There aren't absolute. You are for safety in our country or you are for immigrants, mm-hmm. right? We create these absolutes. Yep. And most of the time they're false. They're just really good for fundraising and rallying your base as a politician. But the truth is there really aren't many absolutes. We recognize that people have complex ideas and beliefs and we resist that you're either for us or you're against us mentality. So we embrace nuance. The fourth is uh, we will not entertain nor be entertained by hateful rhetoric. Don't reshare the funny witty meme that degrades someone else. It might be funny. It might be witty, but we commit to not be sharing hateful rhetoric or trying not to even be entertained by it. That's been Missy's hardest because she likes to fire up and get witty and don't post that, take it down. The fifth, we will courageously and appropriately call out racism, sexism, bigotry, and hate. This one is risky too. Mm -hmm. How do you speak up in a conversation with a friend where you're going, oh, no, 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 no. Uh-oh, my radar is going off. What do you do that doesn't jeopardize the friendship? The answer is, I don't know. I had to do that with a family member. It was really uncomfortable, but we will courageously call it out when we see it. Not in shaming, not cancel culture, but in relationship. Six, we will admit when we're wrong. Mm. Maybe we stood our ground on something and later realized we were just wrong. We made quick assumptions based on that news article and where we read it. Mm. Number seven, we respect boundaries. If someone doesn't want to engage, we don't make them. If someone wants to be heard, but doesn't want to dialogue and go back and forth. And we respect that. We don't relentlessly poke and prod, nor do we engage in order to convince people of things. Number eight, we will focus on love, the law of love. We believe our humanity unites us. We don't see our differences as threats. We operate from a space of love and strive to act from that space. Number nine, we will be teachable, especially by the voices of minorities. Mm. Uh, This one was difficult for us, and Missy and I both identified that Indigenous people and people with disabilities have been two groups that both of us haven't known too much about, and that we would listen particularly to their voices. Also, with the things in our country this year, this commitment became the more real, also listening to people of color, and so most of the books I've purchased this year have been people of color. We will seek out the voices of others and our notion of truth will be informed by their perspectives and experiences in addition to our own. Mm. The last one, we will not let politics rule our hearts and minds. We are more than politics. It is not everything. We will rise above and see the beautiful, diverse, hopeful world around. I love it so much. Amy, I'd read that earlier in the year and then I saw it again just recently when I was looking on your blog. And I think that those 10 commitments that you and your friend made you guys had no idea. You knew that we were going into a, an election year, but you had no idea what it would look like. We could have guessed, but I don't think anyone could have actually guessed. Nope. Um, and then everything else that surrounded our country and our world in this um, season that we've been living in. And what I think is so beautiful about that manifesto is um, that your friend that you're doing this with, she's not a Christ follower. And you are, and I am, and you still came up with these 10 things of how we can love and be kind and be generous with our words and be good listeners and be good community members. And I think it's beautiful. And I think we can all learn from it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will say the commitment sounds nice. Well, actually, they don't even sound nice on paper. They sound really hard, but it has made navigating 2020 a process of refining my character. Mm reevaluating my intention, confronting my assumption, just demonstrating self-control when I feel defensive. It's been so good for my integrity 
And I think if anything, I hope I can make God really proud that I am loving well Mm. and using my voice and playing up to my seat to the table. That's messy and intimidating, but there is room. There is room for everyone. So if I hope that people who have felt intimidated, who just don't want to jump in, I've had someone reach out to me after the vlog and say, I don't feel I can share this anywhere else because I'm going to get lambasted. I am going to get so stepped on if I share this publicly and she's more introverted. And she said, I don't feel like I have a voice. Mm. And you're challenging me and saying, you're not an expert either, but you're talking through it and you're thinking through it and you're engaging. So I hope all of us rally and say our voice matters. And it might be risky. So you share how much you choose to share, how much you share with and who, but that I hope everyone feels confident in that you have the ability to discern and make good choices and love others. Well, I love it so much. And I love that number 10 was we will not let politics rule our life. And what we all have to remember is that this is not, we do not put our hope in whoever we elect, who you vote for does not make you a better or worse Christian. That the only reason that we are a Christian is because of Jesus and nobody else. And so none of that changes after the first Tuesday in November, none of that changes. And that, that is hope for us that honestly, like, that the world needs to see. And I think that if people were more interested in loving their neighbor than being right about with their neighbor, that we would actually Mm. be proclaiming the hope that we have in Jesus to a really hurting world right now. So, so good, Amy, thank you. Thank you for your thoughtfulness. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for just talking with us today about your journey and that you've taken these last couple of years in your adult life and the way that you're not letting politics rule, but you're loving your neighbor as best as you possibly can and learning how to do it better every year. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, thanks for having me. Eugene, thank you for joining me again. Uh, You were just here and it has been one of my favorite episodes we've ever had. So thank you for coming back. Thank you so much. And I am going to say and put it into the universe. I'm coming back for a third time. (laughs) We're not stopping at two episodes. We're going to (laughs) keep this going. Uh, Well, when we knew we were doing uh, this uh, special edition about faith and politics, you were hands down the number one person we wanted to have on. You have a book this year called- Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Hold on for a second. Your team told me it was Faith and Puppies. What is oh, going faith on Faith and here? Puppies. <laughs> what? Wrong <laughs> no. show, wrong show. Well, we'll pivot. But you released a book that we talked about before called Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. And I don't know if it's just that I'm older or that it's 2020 or that it's this particular election, but I have seen more horrible things, I think, from Christians <laughs> than I have in a long time. And so I appreciate your voice in this. We asked our listeners for some questions and we've had three fabulous people come before you. And so you're kind of, you're our final hurrah here. But I want to start here. One thing that a lot of people I have heard them asking as Christians, especially Christian women, I don't know why this seems, I think it's coming more from Christian evangelical women is how do we make a voting decision with a biblical worldview? Like if we were to come to the table and go, we know that whoever we elect, it's not our God, it's not the ultimate authority in our life, but we still want to do everything we do with the biblical worldview. How do we do that in the election booth? That's the question we should be asking again and again and again. So just the fact that your listeners and people, women or men, are asking that question is a great encouragement. Now some bad news. You're not going to find a person or a party that fully encapsulates our perspective on this biblical worldview, acknowledging that each of us also brings in our biases and our prejudices as well, and also acknowledging that while we live here on this earth, we believe that Jesus is Lord, the tomb is empty, 
but the kingdom of God isn't fully here yet. It hasn't fully arrived. So we're going to be living in a state of tension all the time. So if you're voting and you're feeling tension, I would just say, hello, Mm -hmm. welcome to our world. Now, having said that, typically when people speak of worldview, there's three things that come to mind for me. Number one is scriptures. The word of God is as relevant and living and pertinent and powerful today as it was back then. So let's make sure that we read the scripture, we're meditating it, we're absorbing it. And then we don't worship scripture. The scripture illuminates the person of Jesus. So on a regular basis, even if we mock that phrase, what would Jesus do? I think it's something that we have to constantly be contemplating in our lives, not just in the voting booth, but in every facet of our life. What are Jesus's words, his character, his his engagement? And then the third thing is, what does kingdom imagination look like? And I'll probably speak more about this in other questions, but Jesus crucified, risen, comes back. And he's teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. That phrase is spoken of 68 times in the New Testament. It's really important. And so that's the three-prong aspects that help inform me imperfectly what a biblical worldview looks like. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that we all bring our biases into the voting booth, into election. And I think that's something that has become way more clear to me, even in this past couple of years, is the when I see Christians who love Jesus dearly voting on two different sides, it is a realization to me of what we do bring to the table, our experiences, how we grew up, our level of economic status in the world. And so we have to realize that all of those things are coming to play. I want to ask you this as a follow-up to what you just said is knowing all that, we go in, we have this tension, but we're going to cast a vote. You know, we're going to go in and we're going to cast a vote. How do you encourage people to vote for you get two choices and you don't 100% agree with either one of them? How do you encourage people to make that decision? Well, first, I would encourage people to vote. It is a privilege, and it is one way for us as Christians to exercise what it means to be good citizens here on earth. Now, ultimately, we know that our citizenship, our identity rests in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, but we're also instructed by Scripture to be good citizens, to seek the peace of our cities here on earth. So there are, at least for me, this is how I approach this conversation. I reject the notion that you should vote one party straight down your ballots. I think that's, it makes us lazy, lazy voters. I don't care if you identify as conservative or progressive. When you adopt that notion, you know what? I'm just going to vote one color, one party, one platform. That's, in my opinion, very dangerous. It speaks to this idea of tribalism. And when I speak about lazy voting, it's because we don't really understand the issues that we're voting on. And sometimes during election seasons, it's so dominated by the presidential election. But oftentimes what impacts us in our neighborhood, our neighbors, the vulnerable in our cities, it's actually local politics and engagement. So we've got to be a sharper, more critical, more thoughtful. But here are the four categories that help shape the way that I choose to vote. Not everyone agrees with this, but these are the four categories. Number one is policy. Like, I want to know what are someone's policies, their views on policy. And remember, politics shape policies that impact people. So it matters. That's number one. Number two is I want to know someone's history. So they might speak or articulate nice policy, 
But if they have history that contradicts what they're saying, then I want to be able to know that. The third thing is character and integrity. It matters. I think it matters tremendously. Sometimes in our larger culture, we're so enamored by people who are successful, but if they don't exemplify character and integrity, ultimately, time will reveal some of that, those aspects as well. And lastly, I'm curious about someone's vision and imagination for the future. So it's past, present, policy, character. Those are the four things. I think typically in years past or you know, in elections, people are either enamored by, by policy, if I agree with someone on someone's stance and something. And I just think we need a much more holistic perspective in how we go about voting for a particular person. I like the holistic, how we walk in with these four things are really helpful. One of the things I also want to ask you is people are are asking and questioning, how do we discern if a candidate, like you listed these four things, which I think are great and they're really helpful for us as we walk in to make our decisions, not just in the presidential election, like you said, but also in our local elections. How do you discern if a candidate is truly aligned with your values? Because I feel like I mean, I don't like to watch much TV. I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. But man, you get on social media, you get on TV and the ads are just like, I I think I saw one just today that says, I won't say who and where and when, but it was like, this party is going to do this, beware. And it sounded so like alarming and just hateful. How do you encourage people to look past the media, the rage and dig in and really see where people stand on things? Well, for the sake of self-care and sanity, I think we have to really limit how we engage larger media and news. Now, I'm not here to vilify or demonize journalists because I think they have a very important role in a democratic society. I always tell people what we need isn't we don't need to abolish or remove CNN or Fox News. We actually need healthier versions Mm. of these respective news sources in the same way. I think our country will be in trouble if we only have one political party. I actually think we need multiple, but we need healthier versions of a Republican party, healthier versions of a Democratic party. And during election seasons, there is a lot of fear mongering going on. It seems as if that's the Kool-Aid that everyone's swimming in right now. Mm -hmm. And there are times I have to watch myself and guard myself because I could easily get into that kind of a cultural mindset, if you will. And I think we have to be careful because if we're not careful, that's the currency of our society. It's fear. That's the Mm -hmm. currency Mm -hmm. that sells things. So what I would tell people is, you know, we can't altogether withdraw from all of these things, but we should be mindful about what we're consuming, how we're consuming it, and that we're not part or complicit in sharing half-truths or these fear-mongering things to other people. I mean, there are times I'm getting things via my email or Facebook, and I go, whoa, where is this coming from? <laughs> and so that would be one. And to your original question about, well, how do you, goes back to what I shared originally. I don't think we're going to find someone that will perfectly align. And so we should abandon that. Like, that should not be the litmus test. You know, the hardest thing about politics is people. The best thing about politics, to be honest, is people, Mm -hmm. our capacity to do good. It's amazing. In the civil rights movement, it was human beings, imperfect human beings that were able to generate such momentum. I often use the analogy of church, and I may have shared this last time with you. The best thing about church is people. The most challenging thing about church is people. 
And sometimes it's the same people. Right, right. So we're not going to find someone that perfectly aligns, but that's not permission to withdraw and not engage with the process. It's so good. And I think one of the things that I'm having to remind myself often is that just because you see something differently than someone else, it doesn't make them a bad person. And you recently said on Twitter, be careful not to dehumanize those you disagree with. In our self-righteousness, we can become the very things we criticize in others and not even know it. And that, Eugene, I'll just tell you, has been something God has been working on me so much in this season of, I don't want to be like what I'm supposedly criticizing. And so we have to be careful of that. I feel like it's very prevalent in our churches and in our communities and online. How do we state our opinions because we all have them and we have policies that matter to us more than maybe other people? How do we do that and hear others without becoming self-righteous and judgmental? Yeah. So thank you for highlighting that tweet. I think it's important. I also don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying. It's important for us to articulate and to name injustice, to call that which is ungodly and foul, to call that which is antithetical to the gospel, the kingdom of God. We have to name it and call it. So we don't have to kind of beat around the bush about racism, about misogyny, about violence, about hunger. We should be very clear. So it's not permission to be soft. We can be bold, emphatic, courageous, but we can also do these things without vilifying and demonizing the very essence, humanity, and dignity of other human beings. So how do we do that on a more practical level? I think that's the really, that's the million dollar question. This is what I would do. I begin with listening. Jesus performs amazing miracles. We can have lots of conversations about the miracles of Christ. I think when I read the Gospels, the part about Jesus's ministry that's so countercultural, subversive, and scandalous is that he chooses to have conversations with people he is not supposed to have conversations Mm. with. Mm -hmm. Tax collectors, I mean, he invites the tax collector. If you were to transpose that to our time— It is probably, I'm doing air quotes right now, the worst of the representative of the other party. Hmm. Zacchaeus worked for the Roman villainous empire, and he was a tax collector who stole from his own people. Jesus says, I choose to go to your house, and he dines Mm -hmm. with Zacchaeus. The Samaritan woman at the well. We have so many of these stories. Mm -hmm. And I think in our cultural context, we're afraid to be seen talking with other people. I've had too many leadership meetings where I've had to sign NDAs where I couldn't reveal who I was in meetings with. And that's, it's really alarming. Mm -hmm. And it's because we're afraid about how we're going to be perceived by our constituents. So I would just begin with listening. I've said this In our previous podcast, I'll say it again. You cannot love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. You will not know your neighbors if you don't listen to your neighbors. That's number one. Two, I then go to affirmation. Like there must be some places I can give some affirmation to. So when people speak about fear, I want to acknowledge that, okay, you're afraid. I want to affirm that person's humanity acknowledging that they're experiencing fear about jobs, about economics, about if they still belong, if they're still seen. I can resonate with that. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that with my life. I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to be that constant 100% prophetic voice where I like to use the word fragility to shame people on a regular. Let's go to affirmation. 
And then I think it's also important that if I respect that person, I am going to also share what my thoughts and views are. That's a healthy relationship that mm-hmm. acknowledges that their voice matters, but your voice also matters too. And here's the last thing that I'll just say is, I don't always do it because I forget and I'm convicted by this, even as I share it, is I want to pray for people. Mm. I want to pray for that person before our conversation and even after the conversation. Because when I pray for that person, it does two things. One, it reminds me that that person is created in God's image and God loves them. And then two, it makes me more human. Mm. And I need that in my life right now, where sometimes I just want to rage, if you will. And I have to remind myself not only is that person created in God's image, but I, Eugene Cho, am created in God's image and God desires for me to experience this flourishing. And that means I should not dehumanize other people. Mm, it's so good. I recently had the opportunity to film a segment that was going to be airing on TBN about how we should think about what we're doing, we should pray about what we're doing, and then we should go vote. And I remember when I was there that I talked a lot about unity and how, you know, as Christians, we, we're unified not because of our parties, but we're unified because of the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I put a post up on Instagram and it was a lovely post, I thought, you know, and, and most people were very lovely, but then there were people who were not very lovely about it. And it, I cannot help but think about how I don't know very many people who have come to follow Jesus because someone was so very angry and mean to them. Usually it's the opposite. And I talk about this with Scott Sauls in the previous episode, but I want to hear from you about how do we as Christ followers... How do we exhibit, how do we love our neighbors? How do we exhibit kindness? How do we exhibit what Jesus has to offer a hurting world? In a day and time where most people will go straight to anger and not just like right, like to hatred uh, towards each other, because I feel like, and you can, I just, I get so upset, Eugene, when I'm like, we are the examples of Jesus and this is not how we should be acting. And so Mm. can you just give us a little pastoral, guys, let's get our stuff together and stop being mean Mm. to each other conversation? Well, that is the podcast, Faith and Puppies, um, coming back. <laughs> Which for the sounds third so great sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So let me go on the record. I hit like on that post. So I'm going to go on the record here. You know, this is what I would say from a Christian perspective. And again, I've had so many of these conversations. You have to excuse me if this is a, a regurgitation, but I come to this analogy nearly every week. I, I remember this to be reminded that the power of the gospel is able to transcend even political divisions. And it's the analogy, the image of the Eucharist table, the communion table. It's the part of leadership as a pastor that I love the most. When we gathered, of course, I love the worship. I love the announcements. I love greetings time. Not really. (laughs) I love the sermon, you know. And the thing is this, sometimes the worship was off. Sometimes the fellowship time, that two minute of greetings right before was the most awkward time. And as much as I wanted the sermon to be incredible, there were times it just fell flat. But every Sunday, I rejoiced in knowing that the climax where we were moving towards is at the end of our service, we always presented the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. And we always talked about Jesus, Jesus who went to the cross, Jesus who rose again, And every single time I introduce communion, I get goosebumps. And during this election season, what I want to tell people is we don't have a line on the left that serves Mm. wine for our progressives. We don't have a line on the right for our conservatives that serve that weak 
grape juice. And we don't have a line in the middle for our centrists that serve gluten-free independence. Now, I think it's important for us to call out things. I, I absolutely do. We have to call out these things that are antithetical. But I am not going to dismiss every single person and dehumanize them simply because they voted differently with me on a particular issue or a person. Now, I know it's going to solicit lots of criticisms and, and what have you. You can email me at jamieivy.com. That's my personal email address. But so that would be one. But here's the other thing that I'll say. This is really important. The problem with loving our neighbors that think differently than us is when we start having that conversation for the very first time or the most serious time right now during mm. elections. That's the issue. That's the issue. You can't be having that conversation. And I'm not trying to slam or shame people, but if we reduce our civic engagement to one vote every two or four years, I'm just going to say it. We're part of that dysfunctionality. It's like mm -hmm. reducing our Christian discipleship to a 55-minute Zoom service virtually online during this COVID time. Yeah. So the best time to begin is right now, and the best time to continue is the day after the elections. And I would just, again, bring people to Jesus. When people are asking about a biblical worldview, Jesus extended, reached out, Jesus loved. Jesus had conversations. And we could have so many different podcasts. Here I am inviting myself again. So many podcasts about conversations that Jesus had. And that includes with Pharisees. Mm -hmm. He keeps coming back to Pharisees. Yes, he challenges them, flips tables, calls them broods of vipers. But he keeps coming back to them because he loves them. Mm. And I don't want to forget that. So what I would tell people is, during this election time, everybody wants to be prophetic voices. It's the, the flavor of the month to be prophetic. Let's not also forget the commitment to be pastoral as mm. well. Can I just share one more thing? Because You can is do whatever really, you want, Eugene. You know, uh, Dr. John Perkins, who's written several books, a civil rights kind of uh, activist. Years ago, I'm having coffee with him and he shares three things. He says, Eugene, there's three things that everybody wants to do in their life. And it's always made a, a mark on me is everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be heard mm. and everybody wants to be part of something greater. Everybody. I'm always reminded of that, especially as I speak with people that I disagree with, even vehemently. Mm. Last thing, I just lied. Here's the last, the last thing. It's not our job to save everybody. It's just not as much as we want to. Like as a pastor, I want everyone that I have a conversation with to come to Jesus, have that salvation moment. But it's ultimately not my job. But I want to be present. I want to be persistent. I want to be pastoral. I want to be prophetic. And I also have to trust that God is still at work in our world. So good. So good. Uh, Eugene, um, I'm never disappointed when we sit down and talk. So thank you once again for coming on. I want to remind you guys, this would be a really great time to pick up your latest book called Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. And you can still read this book the day after the election. This is like you said, this is an ongoing conversation that we will be having and we should be having. Again, thank you so very much. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these conversations. I hope you were encouraged by them. I believe in them. I think they're needed. Voting is a privilege and it's an honor, but it is not our God. We serve one God and he deserves all of our allegiance. 
Friends, here's what I'm encouraging us all to do. Listen to those around you. Pray, think about the issues, and then do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.